The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. We're going to start here and then we're going to work our way into chapter 2 this morning. Galatians 1, 11 and 12. This is the Word of God. So I invite you to stand as we acknowledge the Word of the Lord. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that you would speak to us through your revealed word to us this day, that you would make the gospel known, that you would save those who have yet to come to faith, and that you will cause every believer to understand what has been entrusted to them. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So here's the big idea that drives today our sermon and our growth group material for the week, that followers of of Christ have been entrusted with God's gospel for the purpose of making it known. If you're taking notes, I'd write two words on a piece of paper, entitled and entrusted. Entitled and entrusted. Let me define them. To be entitled means that you believe oneself to be inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. Just by your nature, because of who you are, that you deserve privileges or special treatment. We live in an entitled society and people are blaming each other from both directions. The poor are blaming the rich and the rich are blaming the poor. Let me just clearly say to you, We live in a society of people who think that they are inherently deserving of privileges and special treatment, regardless of age, race, or economic status. We live in an entitled world. To be entrusted means that something has been placed in your care. Something has been placed in your care, and with it comes an assigned responsibility. Something's been placed in your care and with it an assigned responsibility. I want you to keep those two words in your mind as I work through this text and then as we come back to application. Let's start with Paul and work through what happened to this man and how he interacted with others about the gospel and then draw application to our own lives. First, Paul received the gospel through the revelation of Jesus Christ, not man. For I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. So Paul's saying, I did not get this from people. I'm not trying to please people with it. I didn't receive it from a man, nor was I taught it by a a man. Somebody's messing with me, texting me, asking me if we're having an eight o'clock service. I'm preaching, all right? You people are funny. (laughs) All right. I'm all messed up now. Where was I? Verse 12. Paul says, I received it through 
a revelation of Jesus Christ. Supernatural. Here's what he's saying. The gospel is from God. And Paul is saying, when he was on the road to Damascus, this is recorded in Acts chapter 9, when he was on the road to Damascus, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, Paul's not simply saying I was converted on the road to Damascus. Paul is saying I received the fundamental truths of the gospel on the road to Damascus. In other words, I didn't have some kind of religious experience and then I had to go to Jerusalem and get somebody to explain it to me. Christ explained it to me. Christ made known to Paul on the road the gospel. Now let's back up. Paul goes backwards now in verse 13 and looks at his pre-conversion. He looks at his life before he came to faith in Christ and he's explaining it in the context of what's happening in Galatia. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So Paul was a zealous man, so zealous that he violently tried to destroy the church. Further, he says, he was zealous for keeping the traditions of his fathers. You see, a person who really took their Judaism seriously not only kept the Torah, the law of God, but they also kept the Mishnah, these traditions that had been passed down, even the traditions of their own families that were passed down. So we got a perfect illustration this week. Those of you who are not from the South, I know this is true across the U.S., but we take Thanksgiving to a whole new level in these parts. It is a tradition. Now, I don't know of any family that thinks because you come to Thanksgiving dinner that you earn your salvation. But I do know of families who think that if you don't show up, you're going to lose your salvation. All right, it's serious business. Ramp that up in every area of people's lives. And Paul's saying, I was zealous for these things. So not only did he want to get rid of the church, he was the poster child of what a Jewish person should look like. So last week I talked about the sincerity test. You can put a whole new test on Paul. You can put the zealous test on Paul. He was serious. I'll list Philippians 3, 4 to 6. He describes himself. We're not going to turn there. I'm just going to quote verse 6 to you. He says, as to zeal, he gives it twofold here, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So here's Paul's point. Paul is saying there was nothing in my religious background, nothing in my pre-conversion life that prepared him for a positive response to the gospel. It was only a revelation from God that could turn Paul away from Judaism. Only a revelation from God could prevent Paul from mixing his Judaism in with his Christianity. Only Christ could turn a man from seeking to destroy the church to now seeking to expand the gospel and the church. John Stott said it this way, a man in that mental and emotional state is in no mood to change his mind or even have it changed by men. No condition, reflex, or other psychological device can convert a man in that state. Only God can reach him, and God did. God saved Paul. Now, 
he shifts in explaining what happened at conversion and how this applies to us, Galatians 1.15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. And he starts, set me apart before I was born. Now this sounds very similar to Jeremiah chapter 1.5 and it also in Isaiah 48 or 49 of Isaiah explaining how he came to be a prophet. Jeremiah says it this way, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you to the prophet to the nations. And Paul says, not only was he set apart before he was born, he was called by his grace, meaning this is completely a work of God. I steal this illustration from Tony Marita. Uh, on Thursday, you know, we all going to show up for the food, right? Why is it when some, the person or the people, the group of people who are cooking, now you want a good Thanksgiving Southern meal, it involves a group, all right? When that group of people says it's time to eat, there's always this lollygagger that's like, why do we come here? Oh, I'm going to go wash my hands. Where's Uncle so-and-so? He's outside. It's time to eat. Now here, here's the deal. The Bible is not describing when God calls people, he just kind of, time for dinner. Some people are eager and some people are out there just wandering around. No, here's what it's describing. When God calls, it makes all the difference. God said, let there be light and there was you say, those two things don't go together. Ah, I beg to differ with you, friend. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and watch how Paul puts these two truths together. How God's call of you and God's speaking the world into being relate to one another. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaimed is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is... this. What this verse means is there can be two people sitting in the same row hearing the exact same thing come out of my mouth, but when God says, let there be light, light. This is what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus, light. Now, don't you think about this. There's a sinful attitude that exists in this part of the world. It goes like this. You know, I don't really have that much of a testimony. I was raised in the church. I'm really not that bad. I just want to tell you something. That's a horrible attitude. That's an anti-gospel attitude. That's a self-righteous attitude. We all stand in need of grace. There's no exceptions. If anybody was raised as a Christian, and I'm losing, using this look, if anybody was raised in the epitome of religious, it was Paul. And Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. Friends, we all stand in need of conversion. And I just want you to ask yourself a couple of questions before I move on to the next section. 
Do you marvel at the fact that God has saved you? Does it amaze you that God has saved you by his grace? Do, do you believe that God can save the worst of sinners? I just want you to think about the worst relative you're going to have to encounter on Thursday. The meanest, stinking human being, you know, you just dread it every year. Do you think God could save that person? Do you think God could transform their life? Friends, the gospel is not a formula to be memorized. It's not a code of ethics that somebody needs to obey. The gospel is a dynamic force in human history. It changes people. There's a man who grew up in this town. He was rough and mean and he was lost. And some people in this church began to share the gospel with him, encouraged him to come. He was jaded to Christianity, very bright man. He, he would argue with me after the services. He was angry a lot of times. But one Sunday, sitting back there on the back row, light, light. I went out in the lobby after it was over. You could just see it, man. You could see the fact all over his face that God had opened his eyes to the gospel. He was gloriously converted and saved. It took a while for people in the church to believe it. His family never fully believed it. He got cancer and died. I preached his funeral and his son and daughter both said to me, we still weren't sure at the end. Dad was different, but we just weren't sure. Do you believe God can save those kind of people? Do you pray for those people? Do you share the gospel with those people? Let's move on. Paul now moves to his post-conversion. And what you see here is that Paul proclaimed the gospel to the nations for the glory of God. You see, only God could take a man who is trying to destroy the gospel and turn him to be a man who proclaims the gospel. This is God was pleased to reveal his son to me, verse 16, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult anyone. Now I want you to look with me in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And I want you to ask the question, is this an exception that Paul was called to make this gospel known immediately after his salvation? Is this just a few people? There's one thing that hadn't been carried into the Reformation that's still hanging on. And what, what's still hanging on is this, this uh, clergy laity idea. And I'm not trying to bash anybody at this moment, but that comes from the Catholic Church. We're not Catholics. We don't believe we're separated as clergy and laity. We believe that we are all called of God, that we are a kingdom of priests, that God has saved us all, according to 1 Peter 2, 9, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, plural, may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You cannot separate your calling to salvation and your calling to make God's kingdom known. We are all called to make known the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, just as Paul was. Now back to Galatians 1, verse 17. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned to Damascus. Now if you, if you piece this together through the rest of the New Testament, he preaches in Damascus and he goes into Arabia, think Saudi Arabia, likely for a time of solitude and learning. Then it says in verse 18, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And in in what I am writing before you, to you before God, I, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria 
and Cilicia. Now, why is he describing Jerusalem this way? Now, hang with me here. He's confronting these false teachers. This is what we've been dealing with in Galatians. These Judaizers who said, Paul went to Jerusalem. He received the gospel. Then when he left, he distorted it. He started leaving parts of it out. That's why they came along and said, we represent the the apostles and we're here to tell you the full gospel. You need to be circumcised and keep the law. Now, Paul's making clear that for three years after his conversion, he never went to Jerusalem. Now, when he does go, he's not denying that he didn't glean something, but here's what he's saying. I didn't get the gospel from the apostles. Anybody like to guess what he did when he got to Jerusalem? Acts chapter nine tells you. Anybody like to guess? He preached. He started going to local gatherings of believers and preaching the gospel. Now, if it is in verse 22, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. So I didn't get to all the churches, he's saying. But they were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Now, what's Paul saying? Why why do they glorify God? They glorified God because they understood this. Only God could do this. Only God could change this man. Only God could call someone who wanted to destroy the gospel to now proclaim the gospel. Now we ratchet ahead to our third point and 11 years later. Paul was confirmed by the apostles of having been entrusted with the gospel. Verse one of chapter two says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. Now, The 14 years when you put it together with Acts means 14 years after his conversion. It's 11 years after chapter 1, verse 24. So he went up because of a revelation, we don't know what that is, and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, when you really reflect on this, is Paul saying my gospel might be wrong? In the whole context of Galatians, do you think that's the question in his mind when he gets to Jerusalem? My gospel might be wrong. Do you think that's his question? Whole context. No, that's not his question at all. But here's what he knows. If the apostles refute him, it's going to ruin everything. Now, here's an indication that you know that that he believes the gospel he's proclaiming. Verse 3. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because a false brother secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that we might bring us, they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Here's what happened. He takes a living illustration with him. He takes a Gentile man, an uncircumcised Gentile, a Greek, with him to Jerusalem. Here's what Paul wants to know. Are they going to try to force him to be circumcised and try this with his salvation? Now, what happened is once they get there, the false brothers get revealed because some people start coming out saying, hey, this is what we need to do. But it says in verse five, we did not yield. What does he mean by we? Him and Barnabas? No. He means he and the apostles. They rejected this. This is not the gospel, this is not what we are supposed to believe. What he was rejecting was legalism. 
Legalism is working in our own power according to our own rules to earn God's favor. Now verse six. And those from whom who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Now give me a, a brief sidebar for a second. Notice he says, seemed influential. Who's he talking about here? Who is it? The apostles. The disciples of Christ. The people who learned at the feet of Jesus. He says, these people seemed to be influential. <laughs> Paul's debunking something here that American Christians better wake up and pay attention to. I call it celebrity Christianity. I'll use myself as an illustration. I have read and been highly influenced by an author named John Piper. Occasionally, I quote John Piper. But John Piper is a man. I don't agree with everything John Piper teaches. It doesn't make him a heretic. I just don't agree with him on everything. So, whether your man is John Piper or Charles Stanley or whoever, uh, Beth Moore, whoever that, whoo, you know, they got 30,000 Twitter followers, whatever they say, all saying, you better be careful. Because one of the things that sets the church up to stumble and fall is celebrity Christianity. It also sets the church up for sin because quite often these celebrities will start to slip into sin because everybody's afraid to say something to them when they see them start moving in a direction that's wrong and then pretty soon they embarrass the church. Now, this is always going to be true. There's nothing I can do about this. The people are going to accuse the elders or yes men at Parkwood. <laughs> the elders would say, Jeff Long seems to be influential. They treat me like a man, and they should. And you need to thank God for a plurality of leaders in a modern church today. Praise God. Now, my excursus is over, I return. There are two outcomes from this meeting in Jerusalem, two. Number one, Nothing was added to the gospel. This is huge. Those I say whom seemed influential added nothing to me. Now, he didn't add anything to them either. They were in agreement. They were preaching the true gospel of Christ, and it was that gospel that needed to continue to resound to the glory of God. It is that gospel that is recorded for us in the Bible it is that gospel that we must proclaim. Number two, Paul was recognized as having been entrusted with the gospel. Galatians 1, 7 to 10. I mean 2, 7 to 10. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, 
For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now, I want you to turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, 1 Corinthians 9 is your growth group uh, text for this week. It's dealing with this idea of Paul to the uncircumcised and Peter to the circumcised. And what we want to make sure that happens as best we can through the teaching of God's word, that we don't misinterpret and abuse that text as to what it means. Verse 19 of chapter 9. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. And to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. You said that is a mouthful. What in the world does it mean? So let me use an illustration and back my way into it. If you look at pictures, so we can't go back hundreds of years and look at pictures because they didn't exist. But if you look at pictures about a hundred years ago, of the missionary movement, and as missionaries were going out, one of the, one of the more effective places 100 years ago, a lot of missionaries were in Africa. So you'll see these pictures. You can tell the American missionaries. They're pretty clear, right? Because they're standing with Africans. And their skin color is different, but everybody else looks the same. So if you look at American pictures 100 years ago, Everybody would do this. Y'all seen these pictures like, are these people happy? The reason you did that is because it took so long for the film to develop. So the easy thing was everybody stands still. All right. Now, if you've been in an African culture at all, Africans are not. They're joyful people. Not only were they standing like this, all the men had suits and all the women were wearing dresses. And they were standing in front of white clapboard churches with steeples. Now here's what happened. The American culture, not just the gospel, the American culture was picked up, carried into Africa and dropped and said, if you people are real Christians, you'll wear suits and you women will wear dresses and all this other stuff got added to it. Here's what Paul's saying. When you enter into a culture, figure out what these people eat, what do they wear. Now, if they don't wear clothes, that's a problem. You need some, okay? Figure out what they wear, figure out how they act, what are the customs, what are the things that are important to them. You enter into them and you become like them. You share the things without violating the, con the convictions of Scripture. You share things with them. So now, if you go to Africa and take pictures where our missionaries are, if they even get in the picture at all, they'll have on African clothes, and instead of standing in a white clapboard church, they'll be standing in front of a brush arbor. 
Why? Because those things can be repeated in Africa. That those things can be done over again. Now, folks, culture and context is hard to overcome. It is very difficult for us to do it. So, for example, a lot of people from the north are moving here. We had a family from Ohio. We welcome you. We're glad you're here. I hope you can understand me. I know you're having a hard time understanding your neighbors and the people at Walmart. I know you are. We just talk different. But here's the deal. Hear me. You're going to have to overcome your southern ways to reach your northern neighbors. And those of you from the north, you can't resent us because we say, honey, don't get, if you get mad at the waitress for calling you honey, you're going to get mad everywhere you go. Embrace her for her sweetheart little self and bless her heart with her and get to the gospel. My point is we have to overcome ourselves if we're going to share the gospel. And that's what Paul's saying here. I'm laying myself aside so that I can bring to you this glorious message of Christ. I don't want to leave off verse 10 when he says, remember the poor. Now, there's a general responsibility that we all have as followers of Christ to the poor. Jesus said the poor will always be with you. But you need to understand when Paul, when, when, when it's said by the apostles to Paul, only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing we're eager to do, that has an immediate context. The people who were struggling the most were the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem because of a famine. And if you study closely 2 Corinthians and other places uh, in Acts, you will find out that the Jerusalem church was in great need because of the overwhelming poverty for the believers in the Gentile world to support them. And that specifically is what he has in mind at that moment. That Paul, as you go out with the gospel to the Gentiles, make sure you don't forget the poor here in Jerusalem and wherever you go. Now, back to our application as you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So those of you who weren't here when we started Galatians, in Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, Paul starts his words to the Galatian believers by saying, I am astonished. He doesn't thank God for them. He doesn't encourage them. He is floored that they're leaving the gospel. Now, we turn to another letter he wrote to the Thessalonican believers. Now, listen to the distinct difference between these two people. We give thanks to God always for you all, constantly mention you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in full, full conviction. In other words, here's what Paul's saying. When we preach the gospel among you, God opened your eyes and you people powerfully got saved. Now he goes on. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us. In other words, Paul's saying, we became what we needed to at Thessalonica to share the gospel with you. And you started imitating us and how you do this as well. 
You became imitators of us and you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Do you get to the last part? I don't have any correction for you. Now, why does Paul not have any correction for the Thessalonican believers? Two reasons. Number one, they believe the one true gospel, that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone are you saved. They had not become like the Galatians and moving and added to the gospel. They believed the gospel of Christ. This is another quote from Tony Marita. Paul was transformed by his encounter with Jesus. He was not tweaked by it. Like Paul, we need more than a minor adjustment when we come to Christ. We need transformation. Only the gospel transforms people from the inside out. Now, everybody look at me and hear the most urgent thing this preacher is going to say. The problem with the preaching and the gospel presentation in this part of the country, even in this city, is that we are communicating a tweak. We're communicating, y'all, just good people. And Jesus came to help you. Jesus did not come to help you. Jesus came to save you. He came to do for you what you could not do yourself. He did not come to improve you. He did not come to tweak you. Now, when Christ transforms you, once you believe the gospel, then we proclaim the one true gospel. And that's what we see here in these Thessalonican believers. They believed the gospel, then they proclaimed the gospel where they were and to those who have never heard. So they got the gospel out and away from them. So I have some questions for you as I conclude here. Have you, every believer in this room, have you ever shared the gospel with another person? Now hear me. Most of you hear me say, when I say, make that comment, with a stranger, cold, walk up to somebody on the street and share the gospel. Not that I don't think we should do that, but that is not what I'm asking you. Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody? It should always start with those relationships that are closest to you. Let me give you a stark illustration from the last two weeks of my life. This is not in any way a condemnation on Gaston Christian School. So don't go out of here and quote me as if I'm saying something negative about Gaston Christian. I am not, and I'm not be any more emphatic than I'm not. Everybody hear me. In the last two weeks, I have had a conversation with an adult and a student who have shared the gospel with a student at Gaston Christian who responded this way. I've never clearly heard that. How in the world is that possible? Do you understand that there are people in your growth group that if you slowed down and shared the truth of the gospel, that you might get the exact same response? I've never clearly heard that. Do you know that you have neighbors who've been members of a church their entire life who have never heard that? 
Friends, don't shortchange people. Don't make this decision. Many of you are making a deadly decision. This is how the gospel presentation starts with people. It makes my head want to blow off my shoulders. It starts this way in Gastonia. Do you go to church? Who cares? I'm serious. Who cares? Church means nothing. Their church may not be even talking about God, never opening the Bible. Don't ask that question. Start with the gospel. Share the gospel because when you get the response, they hit it back to you. Boom, yeah. Or are you a Christian? Boom, yeah. Then here's what you're saying to them. You just need a little tweak. Here's what I say to people. I'm not trying to insult you, but do you mind if, if I just clearly shared with you what the gospel is? You'll be surprised at how dumbfounded people will stand there with you and go, oh. And here's the number one response I get in G-Town. That's too easy. What's the backside of that? What's the person on the backside saying? I need to what? I need to do something. You see the heart problems going on around us? And that's being reinforced in religious communities over and over again. The gospel is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone are we saved. Tim Keller says this, the gospel becomes our glasses. In fact, we're blind before it, but the gospel becomes our glasses to which now we see the world and we see the sin in our own heart and the struggles in our own heart, but we see ourselves and the world through the gospel. And that immediately, immediately motivates us to apply the gospel to ourselves and to those around us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I plead on behalf of the men and women in this room who are trusting in themselves or something they can do or have done. May they look to Christ this day and believe. And God, I pray, Holy Spirit, Put a weight on us to understand what we've been entrusted with and who we've been entrusted to. God, burden us to share with our lost aunts and uncles and cousins this week at Thanksgiving. Burden us to share with our neighbors and our coworkers and the people we go to school with. God, cause us to understand that we're an entrusted people. We're not entitled. We don't deserve this. But you have placed it in our trust. And may we treat it as such. I plead this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org.
That's parkwoodonline.org.